You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. He's from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, and that's in your Bibles on page 1075. If you haven't got a Bible, there should be some at the back. Um, that's again page 1079. <clears throat> a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which through perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you have not seen him, you love him. Through not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Uh, morning, friends. Uh, for those uh, I haven't met, my name is James. I serve as one of the wardens here. And uh, it's, it's such a privilege to be bringing you God's word here today. I want to say uh, a big thank you to everyone who's been praying for me. Um, it's actually a big deal for those, uh, those, uh, uh, those of us like Doug and myself who don't preach all the time. A lot of hard go- work goes in uh, behind the scenes. Uh, and it wouldn't be possible without your prayers and encouragement. So, so thank you for lifting Doug and myself uh, these last couple of weeks. Um, we're in a series called Hopefully, and it's a bit of a pun. It's a, a play on words because um, it's about not sort of thinking uh, of Jesus and, and uh, our faith as being something that's like ambiguous or ambivalent, like like something that will hopefully happen and that's hopefully real, but something that is altogether real. And because it is, we can hope fully in him. And what I want to do today is uh, take us further into that and to show you that our hope, our faith is incredibly precious. It's incredibly precious. That's the big idea of today's uh, talk. Um, let me start by sharing with you that one of the uh, really enjoyable and novel TV shows uh, I've seen, I don't watch it all the time, uh, but I've seen it on a couple of occasions, is The Antique Roadshow. I absolutely love the premise of this show, for those of you who have seen it. The whole idea is that you have these uh, antique experts, okay, evaluators, uh, appraisers who travel across the, the countryside in the UK 
And what they do is uh, they have people bring to them various heirlooms and treasures and cherished possessions, and they value them. They value them. And it's really enjoyable to watch because of the element of surprise. You see, a lot of these valuations are very, very surprising. You know, people will bring something that looks on the surface very ordinary, like a nondescript, ordinary-looking dish, a very unassuming thing. Uh, and the evaluator, the appraiser, the antique expert, will look at it, uh, and they'll take out their magnifying glass and pour their eyes all over this, say, dish. Uh, and then they will say, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> See this marking here? It dates it back to the 17th century. It is of great value. <laughs> and you see the person, they're just their facial expression change and they'll beam as they discover however many thousand pounds that their ordinary dish that's been sitting in the back cupboard is actually worth. When it comes to what's valuable, uh, I want to say that our faith has a worth and appraisal uh, that is of incredible value and that would surprise us. To the world, our faith looks very ordinary, very unassuming, uh, very unattractive at times, and maybe even undesirable. But to God, however, our faith has incredible value. Peter says our faith, in fact, is more precious than gold. And I believe if we began to understood this, uh, to understand this and to appreciate this, we would cherish and enjoy our faith all that more. What I want to do today is to let Peter do uh, an evaluation of our faith, an appraisal of our faith, to pour his magnifying glass all over it. And I want to focus just on three aspects of our faith that make it incredibly valuable. The first is that we have a new life as people of God. The second is that we have a great inheritance and a future to look forward to. And the third is we will enjoy Jesus' presence in a much fuller way. Right, let's start the appraisal. Appraisal point one. We are new people. We read in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, because of his great mercy, he is, has given us new birth into a living hope. When someone becomes a Christian, something incredibly profound happens, an incredible transformation happens and it's so radical that the bible calls it being born again being born anew it sounds really cliche uh, but there's actually an incredible reality reality behind those words being born again when the pharisee nicodemus in john chapter 3 visits jesus one night in the cloak of dark uh, presumably to talk to jesus about spiritual things and to learn more about jesus jesus plainly tells him you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, Nicodemus, to taste, see, and know God. And Nicodemus, he gets it. He understands what Jesus is saying, but he's baffled. How can you be born again? How can you be born again? Can you actually go back into your mother's womb, Nicodemus says, and be born again? This is crazy talk. But that's the point that Jesus is making that relationships with God starts with becoming a new person. It starts with starting a new life, having a new life. The best analogy I can give to explain this, it's like uh, your first day in a, a new job or with a new organisation. 
uh, on the first day you start a new job, it's like you become a new person. Um, you have a, a new life in a sort of way. Uh, you're given new privileges, like access to buildings, facilities, resources that you previously didn't have. You start a new relationship with the people in the organisation. Previously, they were strangers. Now they're your colleagues, all of a sudden. One of them, hopefully a very nice person, will be your boss, even. You have a new identity in that company, uh, an employee number, uh, a title that tells you who you are to the people in that company, roles and responsibilities. And that whole reality, at least for me, is crystallised in the moment you, you receive that employee badge with that slightly awkward photo but saying that you belong, you belong here now to this company. When we're born again, God makes us a new person. He enables us to start a new life. We belong now to him. We have a relationship with him and his people. We have a new purpose. We have new desires to glorify and worship him, which we didn't have before. Um, our past is wiped clean, and we have a new future ahead of us. It's a completely new life. We're completely new people, and it's nothing short of a complete transformation. It's breathtaking. I think for those of us who have been Christian for a while, sometimes this transformation and how radical it is and the fact that we're new people can be lost on us. It can become to start to feel ordinary at times and we can forget the miracle of this transformation that we're new people of God. But the New Testament writers emphasize again and again that we are new people. Paul, for example, tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Peter, uh, in, one chapter, in chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, uh, when appealing to us to, to love others, uh, he appeals to our new, na our new natures. He says, love one another earnestly because you have been born again. I want to say that as Christians, we are completely new people. Um, and Christianity, because of that, isn't becoming, trying to become a better version of yourself, like somehow uh, striving to, be, to love others more and be Christ-like uh, will make us a better person and will make us more acceptable to God. It doesn't work that way at all. God has already made us acceptable, and he has already made us good enough for him. That is the starting point. We're new people. We love others, and we live like Christ, because that's who we are. We're just being who we are, as new people in Christ. And one of the best aspects of being born again is not only we are new people, but he's, we his people. In chapter 2, verse 9, uh, Peter reminds us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. This would have meant a great deal to the recipients of Peter's letter. They were Christians living in the five Roman provinces of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, 
and living in the first century, their lives as Christians would have been hard. In fact, anyone who lived as a Christian in the first three centuries would experience hardships um, as Christians, living in a Roman society that uh, thought little of them, that marginalized them, that uh, maybe ostracized them at the best of times, and at the worst of times may even have killed them. It wasn't until around 300 AD when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire that things started to ease up and become better for Christians. Things were really hard in the first 300 years. So it would have meant so much to Christians, that the Christians that Peter is writing to, living in Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, to be reminded actually they belong to God. They're not lost in this world. They actually belong to God. They have joined the team that counts. Uh, I want you to look around. I'll take a moment to look around, maybe at lunch or something like that. The people that you see here or around you, maybe in worldly terms, are not the most special or impressive people. But I promise you, you know, with all my heart, that on the day that when Jesus returns, we will be vindicated as the people of God because we are on the team that counts. Our faith is precious because we have started a new life as people of God. Appraisal point two. Peter writes in verse three and four, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Um, our faith is precious because we have a great future ahead. Uh, let me start by saying that our future shapes how we live in the present. Our future shapes how we live in the present. Um, in the early years uh, of our marriage, uh, money, to be honest, was, uh, our finances was a, a bit tight. Um, I had just uh, returned to work after taking some time off to study. Mel had started a new job as a chaplain, so she wasn't like earning the big bucks. And um, we had just bought a new house. Uh, so money was uh, a bit tight, and we did everything that we could to save money, uh, to live frugally so that we could pay down the mortgage and get to a place of financial stability and comfort. Uh, at the time, I was driving a very, very uh, old car. It was a Ford wagon. Uh, so I think it like built in 1993, and it had over 250Ks um, on the odometer. Um, Mel, <laughs> it was actually um, Mel's grandparents to begin with, and they had handed it down to her parents. And her parents had handed it down to her when she got to uni. And uh, when we got married, she handed it over to me, and I got to drive it. <laughs> uh, and I, to be honest, I wasn't sure when it would break down. There were days I was really like not sure when it would next break down, but I kept driving it because it was cheap to run and cheap to insure. You know, the, the future that we want shapes the decisions and our priorities of today. Um, the future we see uh, for ourselves as Christians, however, can sometimes be a bit vague, I think, particularly when it comes to what happens when Jesus returns. We talk a lot about that. You know, we've just said a creed that says that we believe Jesus will return. And we just sang about that earlier. But we can be a bit vague on what happens when Jesus returns. And that's a great shame because Jesus, the Bible says that something great will happen when Jesus returns. And that has to do with this word here in verse 4, 
inheritance. Uh, this is a, a big word, so I want to spend a bit of time unpacking it. Um, it's fr- fr- mentioned quite frequently in the New Testament. Uh, we see, for example, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, that the humble or the meek will inherit the earth. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prays that uh, the Ephesians will have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they would know the glorious inheritance that they have. But this concept of inheritance actually starts in the Old Testament where it saturates the story of the Israelites. They were once slaves, but God, when he takes them out of slavery, he promises to give them an inheritance, a promised land flowing with milk and honey. In the Bible, the inheritance is the land that they would inherit and enjoy, a place of plenty, of peace, where they would enjoy worshipping and praising and living for God. In the New Testament, however, their inheritance is even better for us as Christians. It gets even better. Um, It's the new heavens and the new earth that we can look forward to. We get a glimpse of this um, in Isaiah 65, verse 17. Phil might get you to... Thanks. Where it's mentioned briefly that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. But Peter will pick this up later in his second epistle, in chapter 3, when he says that God promises a new heavens and a new earth for us. That's what we're waiting for. And Revelations, which uh, Jana will teach on when he gets back um, in, this, uh, in the next series, Revelation picks it up at the end that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And actually heaven will come down to earth and the two will collapse and be one. There is a future place that Christians are waiting for and longing for a new heavens and a new earth. We are to be, truth be told, and we know this even if we're not thinking about it consciously all the time, that we're not at home in this world. The world is broken. It's, it's messy. There is everything that is going wrong at the moment, from wars to environmental destruction to inflation, is happening and we feel it. We're not at home in this world. This is not where our future is. It's too broken. The world needs to be remade. Creation, we're told in Romans 8, is groaning in bondage and decay, waiting to be freed, waiting to be renewed and restored. And that's why, as Christians, we pine for the return of Jesus. We want him to restore the world to what it was like back in Eden, to make it even better We want a new heavens and a new earth. Even those who aren't Christian understand something of this. In 2006, uh, there was this famous movie released called Avatar. Uh, It was incredible for its time because of its special effects and and all that. And the uh, the however million spent on it, big budget. But the other reason why it was amazing was because through the special effects and through the storytelling, it captured a glimpse of the future, of this incredible world of peace and harmony. And people left the movie and it was widely reported they were depressed. They were depressed because they got a taste of what good could be like, of what a peaceful, harmonious world could be like. 
got a sense and a taste of it, and it left them depressed. It left them pining and longing and yearning for that. We long for the restoration of the world. And when Jesus returns, he will inaugurate, as you've seen, a new heavens and a new earth. If you will bring up a quote for me, um, one of uh, uh, favorite systematic theologians of Bible college students, every college student has uh, his textbook, Wayne Grudem, says that the physical creation will be renewed and we will continue to exist and act in the physical creation. The beauty and perfection of the Garden of Eden will be restored and we'll get to enjoy the wonderful new earth much, much more than even now. The new heavens and the new earth, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I really, I really don't know. But I know it will be great. I'm told <laughs> that there'll be work to do. Um, but it won't be like it is now. It would actually be enjoyable, which for me means no more deadlines. Our relationship with creation will be wonderful. No more environmental destruction and, and things like that. We'll have a, a harmonious relationship with creation. And our relationships with each other will be wonderful because sin will be no more. You know, I really lament sometimes that so much of this future is poorly understood and is not spoken about as much as it is. And I think so much of the theology, or what we call eschatology, our understanding of the future and end times, it's just mired in, you know, like controversial theology and weird vocabulary and predictions about the end time and all sorts of kind of crazy stuff. And I think that happens when people try and get too specific about what will happen. So let me just make it very simple, uh, what will happen um, in the future. First point is, Jesus is returning. This is a reality. He will return. He will come again. And when he does, the world will be renewed. It will be so much better than it is now. It will be great. And we'll be part of it as his people. So appraisal point two, our faith is precious because we have an incredibly, incredibly bright future. Do you believe it? Appraisal point three, our faith is precious because we look forward to his presence with us. Peter writes a bit later in verse eight to nine, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, the goal of being saved isn't just to be forgiven. Being forgiven is a wonderful part of salvation. It is an amazing thing to have our past with all its brokenness and messiness wiped clean in God's eyes to be able to see us as God sees us. That is a a wonderful thing, to not have our messy thoughts, actions, regretful actions brought up. It is an amazing thing to be forgiven and freed from the guilt and penalty of all that. But you know, the best thing about being saved, the best thing about salvation, the best thing to come is that we will get to be with Jesus in all his fullness. Having Jesus in our lives is ultimately the goal of our salvation. 
Knowing him, loving him, being with him, seeing him, that is the goal of being a Christian, of being saved. And when he returns, we'll enjoy his presence in a much fuller way. Uh, my wife and I have been married, I think, around eight years. I'm, I'm sure it's around eight years. And it's uh, going really well by God's grace. But the first few years of our marriage were you know, a bit sort of tough and, and rocky uh, in hindsight. Uh, at the time, I was traveling a lot for work. Um, and there were weeks where, because of travel, it felt like uh, my wife and I had a, a long-distance relationship. Uh, it felt fine at the time because that's, that's all we knew. But for the last five years, I've been really grateful and thankful that I haven't needed to travel for work. I've just stayed put. Uh, and the difference that makes to, your, to our relationship has just been, like, wonderful. It is so good to be around and together all the time instead of apart. When Jesus returns, this long-distance relationship that we have with him, as good as it is and as wonderful it is to have his spirit dwelling with us and in us, when Jesus returns, he'll be present with us in the new heavens, in the new earth, in such a, a fuller and more remarkable way. It's going to be great because of that. And I want to go deeper and say that his resurrection is actually the beginning of this new creation, of this new heaven and this new earth. His resurrection is the first installment of the new heavens and the new earth. It's a taste of what is to come. And it means that he'll be there with us in it. We'll be walking with him, talking with him, and spending time with him in a way that is even more real and fuller than when he was here on earth with his disciples. I don't pretend to understand how exactly that will happen with so many Christians and how that will work. Uh, we'll leave that detail for when he comes back. But it will happen. So appraisal point three. Our faith is precious because we have his presence in all its fullness to look forward to. So what do we do with something so precious? What do we do with our faith that's so precious? We've had Peter pour his magnifying glass all over it, and we've seen that our faith is precious because we're new people. We have an incredible and great future to look forward to. And that includes enjoying his presence in a much fuller way. I've got two uh, applications for us. The first is simply to thank God and to praise God and rejoice. Peter writes in verse 3, he begins this whole section by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again or given us new birth into a living hope. Praise God. That's what it means to bless God, to praise him, to thank him, to honor him. We recognize how precious our faith is, and we cherish it, and we thank God for it. And we rejoice because our future is incredibly bright. Because of that. And this advice is especially important and pertinent to those going through difficult times, to those struggling with hardships, be they illness, challenges at work, mental or physical. Peter was writing to Christians going through a hard time, and he encourages them 
that their future is incredibly bright and their faith is worth holding on into, onto to remain steadfast because the promises that they have, both in the present and in the future, are so precious. So hold on and stand firm. Second application is to be forward thinking. To be forward thinking. To set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. To look forward to the future grace that we will enjoy. I mentioned earlier that the way we see the future and how we think of our future shapes how we live today, the decisions we make and the priorities that we have. We look forward most to being with Jesus when he returns and the new heavens and the new earth. Then we'll embrace our life with him right here and now as fully as we can. It is, friends, to be honest, a complete contradiction on the one hand to say that we're looking forward to Jesus' return and we're looking forward to all that he's got planned for us and being with him and all that and then somehow living maybe half-hearted, ambivalent lives here and now that don't embrace him. It's a complete contradiction. If we look forward to the future that we have with him, we will embrace the life that he's now started with us. And for Peter, that has three parts. The first is that in verse 15, if you look at your Bibles, we seek to live upright and holy lives as new people of God. In verse 22, it means loving one another because that's the life that God has called us to and that's the life, the sort of life that we'll be living in eternity, loving one another. But it also means setting our sights on the future. It means not getting too bogged down and too comfortable with life here and now as if this is all there is. Because, as Peter reminds us, that we are still exiles, still sojourners. We're not home yet. The best is yet to come. As Paul reminds us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Praise God. But you can sing along if you want to. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty, through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, 
I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious life. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. That we will rise. 